episode number 27. We're going to talk about shopping center security. And how do you go about formulating a plan to deal with a disturbance with over a thousand young people? This is the Crime School Radio Show. Where industry experts discuss the business of fighting crime and prevention strategies for making places safe. Leading today's discussion is security expert, Chris McGoey. Welcome to Crime School. Today I'm speaking to the shopping center industry, and in particular to Shopping Centers Today magazine. This magazine is kind of the voice of this very large shopping center trade association whose members operate or manage anywhere from these small strip centers to these large mega malls that are well over a million square feet. Some of these mega malls are like small cities that offer a variety of services and just have millions of people traveling through it on an annual basis. Now, recently I received a call reminding me of this event that occurred after the last holiday season where a 1,000 to 2,000 young people descended on a couple of malls creating a massive disturbance that escalated into hundreds of fights and, as you can imagine, caused total havoc in the mall and a, and a major police response. So the question to me is not an easy one. How do these large mega malls anticipate these type of events? How do you plan for one? And more importantly, how do you respond appropriately under these bizarre circumstances? So let me get Shopping Centers Today magazine on the line, and let's see where this discussion goes. This is the Crime School Radio Show. After a short break, we will introduce today's special guest. Speaking with Steve McClendon, you're a longtime writer for Shopping Centers Today magazine, right? That's correct. And you're doing a piece uh, this time around about fights in shopping centers. Yeah, um, it's a unique, I guess, a unique phenomenon um, to the U.S. from what I'm discovering. But yeah, there were uh, several of them um, right after Christmas in malls around the country. Are you talking about those big ones? They had like one or two thousand people involved. Yeah, yeah, there were. There was one at uh, I think uh, Mall St. Matthews in Louisville, um, which is uh, owned by a large REIT, and Orange Park Mall, uh, also owned by uh, probably the largest retail REIT uh, in Florida. And then there was one in New Jersey in Deptford Mall. They all seemed to happen uh, right after Christmas, and some of them. Um, you know, maybe there were some, I guess, pre-planned meetups. Some of it was social media oriented and they just, some of them got out of control and there were fights, may have been gang oriented or just, um, who knows? So it's, uh, you know, we always kind of was tasked to look into, you know, why these occur and, you know, how they can maybe be prevented and any lessons learned. 
Well, in my world, these are not unusual. Of this magnitude, it certainly is. Uh, the, the organized, more like a flash mob type situation that drives the fight. But there's been fights in malls from the day malls were invented. I mean, it's just, it's just another place. It's a public setting, obviously. It's a place where some people might go to hang out or, or spend time. And anytime you have a place that's designed for public gathering and public browsing, occasionally people are going to run up against each other who don't like each other for one reason or the other. And you've been doing this long enough. Uh, you really don't have to have a good reason, do you? No. No, I, I've seen some fights that were brewing at local malls where I was sitting in the food court eating. I could see a bunch of uh, uh, folks kind of gathering and, and uh, the mall security kind of looking concerned. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, this is it's not, obviously we've seen some, you know, massive shootings and violence in malls and, and such. And, you know, and typically it doesn't appear to be, you know, the, the fault of the mall whatsoever. It's just, uh, I guess one of the things we're trying to determine is, if, is there any kind of a situation that starts brewing that can be, you know, mitigated or, you know, how, how do you go about, uh, I guess, preventing and once these things go in, are underway, what, we, you know, what do you do? Well, if your article was a thousand pages long, we could dive into... Mm all of those yeah. various nu nuances but let me try to break it down and kind of give you a thumbnail sketch of a very complex topic sure. uh, this is what i do for a living and for the last 32 years i've worked with many large regional malls all over the country in canada it's it's what i will generically call the nature of the premises all malls might be similar in nature if we're speaking about enclosed malls now they might be similar in nature where they got a mix of stores and, and they have set hours and, and they expect a certain demographic, you know, to come to this mall. And the mix of the mall will often determine what that demographic is. What's the age range? What's the sex range? What's the level of income range, as you can imagine? Where it's placed in, in a city or within a city can make a difference as to who your typical customers are going to be. So not every mall is identical. Every mall is going to kind of get its own identity after a while. When I work with large malls, to a certain extent, I'm sort of suggesting to them that do an evaluation. That's what I do. And you try to determine what is the demographic? What's your customer base? What is the flow, the trends and patterns of traffic, you know, midweek during the day versus midweek at night, weekends during the day, weekends at night? you will have completely different traffic patterns sometimes. What's adjacent to you sometimes make a difference if there's a, uh, a high school nearby or something that, that, that might impact traffic flows at certain times of the day. If you have a multiplex movie theater, it could very much impact your traffic, especially at night and especially on weekend nights. If you have a large food court, I've gone back and trended fights probably across the board at most malls, and you're always going to have a higher percentage at food courts. So you might think, well, gee, are food courts dangerous? Well, what they are, they're just a collection point. They give you a place to do legal loitering. You can literally hang out at a food court 
seated at the tables, unmolested, especially if you have a drink that you can nurse for hours, and uh, no one's going to bother you, really. So it's kind of a natural meetup place. So that's what malls have to do. And when I get involved in, quote, high crime malls and they're trying to figure out what to do, I mean, that's the exercise I go through with mall management and mall security is we try to determine what, what patterns are there, what history uh, has there been, especially related to crime or fights, and see if we can isolate it down to any trend and pattern in day of week, time of day, circumstance. And that helps uh, a tremendous amount. I think it's important to see if, if the traffic or the undesirable traffic, if you will, is associated with any particular tenant. In the old days, you don't see them much anymore, but in the older days, we saw in malls, it was a trend towards uh, video parlors, and that would attract a group of people, and that, that often got involved in disturbances and so forth. But it, it could be something else. But food courts uh, tend to be a, a common denominator, uh, a meet-up place where people will come and hang out. Uh, the security people in the malls sometimes are successful with getting people moving along that are standing in groups or, or hanging out in one location for a long period of time. They can get them to move on. But when they get to a food court, it's almost like license to sit and hang out and maybe consume food. The other thing about malls that I see when I looked at documents that quite oftentimes the instigators of fights were either the same person or same group of people or related groups of people. So that tells me there's some history off property that ends up coming on property for some reason. Now, in the case of these large incidents after Christmas, those were more flash mob related. And by that, I mean that they seem to be driven by social media. That's kind of the new thing that we didn't have to deal with in the past. As you know, now with social media, someone could send out a, a note very quickly on Facebook or, or, or some other provider and say, this event or this thing is going to happen at this mall, at the front of this door or in the food court at this time. And the mall could appear perfectly normal up until 30 minutes, 15 minutes before, and all of a sudden this mass of people, as in the case of the December incident in Louisville, I think up to 2,000 kids just kind of all of a sudden showed up. And that puts a lot of pressure on the mall. They're not set up for that. They certainly didn't schedule enough staff for that. They, yeah. Unless you're tuned into that same social media, you have nowhere, no way of knowing what's going on. And by the time it's that mob arrives, you're overwhelmed and you're not really able to intervene very well. You just don't have the staff. If you remember from those reports, even the police, when they started responding, they couldn't do much with it other than start, starting to shut down the mall, shutting down stores, trying to get people to leave. But it's like herding cats uh, with teenagers. If they're seemingly not committing any crimes and they're in a public place, asking them to move on and asking them to leave is a, a slow, arduous process. But the fights, again, the fights seemingly have nothing to do with mall business. They don't seem to have anything to do with any of the particular tenants there or anything. Now, some of the ones that aren't Christmas, as you know, you've probably written about these. Uh, uh, they've even done a movie about it, haven't they, where people come in at Christmas time, Black Friday, for example, and they're fighting over the same sale items or something. 
or they're, they're, they're queued up standing in line waiting to get in at a certain time, and there's always someone who cuts in line or someone's unhappy. Uh, those things uh, also happen more often on a seasonal basis around holidays when people are really stressed out while shopping. But I think the things you're talking about, the fights involving young people hanging out, that's the bottom line. It's a situation of hanging out, of loitering, of allowing groups to, to come and spend a lot of time. And that's the challenge to shopping centers that I've had to address with them many times. I mean, how far could you go? You obviously want them to come and to enjoy the center, but you also don't want them intimidating other guests. I could give you hundreds of examples of situations where groups of young people were allowed to come and just troll through the center. I mean, just literally march up and down the center all night long. And they're loud, they're obnoxious, uh, they hang out, they're catcalling uh, to women, they're, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it disturbs the, the entire shopping environment. And what it does, it drives the legitimate customers away. If it's allowed to continue, uh, older people especially, uh, people like me, I don't want to go somewhere where it's a teenage hangout and, um, and they're, they're rude and obnoxious. Simply go someplace else or go a different time. So at some point, it's going to start impacting business. And when it starts impacting business, it changes your tenant mix. And this may be too much, too much detail for your story, but when the mix changes, so does your clientele change. If you have a, a certain variety of stores that cables to, caters to uh, women or just men or an older demographic or, or a more affluent demographic, it's going it's to cause a certain mix to come to your store or to your mall or that part of the mall. But if all of those good high-end tenants leave uh, because of the intimidation or the nature of the, uh, the mall, uh, it's, usually it's replaced with secondary or tertiary type tenants. I mean, I could take you to malls where every other one is a nail salon or a sneaker store. And uh, it just changes the demographic so much where uh, to, to keep their head above water and, and, and to continue to be profitable, they have to cater to uh, these hordes of young people that come and hang out. How do you get out in front of something like this? It sounds like um, the malls are, to some degree, kind of powerless when these instantaneous flash mobs kind of are organized and other things occur. But it, it, are there certain things that can be done? Um, you know, it's hard to prepare for these events, obviously, since they're fairly rare. But, you know, what are malls kind of helpless to, uh, you know, in, in, in combating this kind of situation? It's a simple yes or yes and no answer. It, <laughs> it depends. These kind of things that are happening in shopping malls have happened before other places. We know about these things. It's, there's hardly any surprises anymore, including the real drastic incidents involving shootings and so forth. But we're aware of all the variables. It's just a matter of how do you address those variables and and how strong the management is, and how are they prepared to make the tough decisions sometimes. Now, malls have, they try to implement rules, they try to post the rules, they try to enforce the rules regarding loitering or loud behavior or unwanted conduct or, or smoking or whatever the rules might be. Dress codes sometimes make a difference. Uh, we're we're kind of long past the days of people wearing colors, but 
Uh, people do sometimes dress in a manner that uh, other groups will find offense with, or they're, or if you got groups that are, you know, kind of natural em- enemies, their their clothing or, or how they look or how they act or what they say might uh, cause uh, some activity. So to that extent, the malls, working closely with their law enforcement department, can formulate some plan, and that's kind of the secret. You have to put together a plan. And it's a security plan, and it's an emergency response plan, and it has to be multi-level. At the lowest level, it has to be to handle all the basic situations from medical emergencies to evacuations for some reason, smoke, fire, earthquake, depending where you are, you know, storms, tornadoes, hurricanes. So at that level, with an emergency uh, sort of response uh, system, and multi-layered in that you have to have good communications. Uh, video surveillance certainly helps. You have to have ability to, to lock down the stores and the mall when necessary. Work well with uh, local law enforcement and, and fire and medical emergency response so everybody is on the same page if a response is necessary and they can make it happen as quickly as possible. But when it comes to crime, uh, there needs to be a process of, of monitoring behavior if you spend any time in malls, it becomes pretty apparent when someone is not acting in a normal manner. If you and I went to any mall this afternoon and just hung out and just watched customer behavior, we would see a pattern. I mean, people walking through the mall, they're browsing, they're going in and out of shops, they're carrying packages. 99% of the population that goes through the mall is going to act in that same manner. They're going to be well-behaved and respectful and but the, that 1%, let's just pick that percentage, that 1% becomes apparent. Sometimes you could see them walking across the parking lot before they even enter the mall. Or as soon as they come in, you could uh, determine uh, that this is going to be trouble. And it's not just appearance, it's, it's conduct, it's behavior. Are they already horsing around? Are they already loud, obnoxious? Are they already you know, doing things that you would deem to be inappropriate of a normal customer. But those are the people that bear watching. So it's not, if you have a 1,000 people in the mall, you don't have to watch all 1,000 at a time. You usually have to end up just watching that, maybe that 1 to 10 group of people that are going to tend to be the problems. And, and the way that the best malls enforce rules is to do it quickly, do it often as necessary, and let these individuals know that their behavior is inappropriate under the circumstances and ask them to correct it. Now, most will do that. Most will just not realize it or they'll correct it. If uh, huddling at a group is a problem, most will break up and sort of disperse. They'll probably regroup again. You might have to remind them a time or two, but it's something that could be managed. But there will be a group of people that refuse. They just will not be managed. They will continue to act up, and those are the individuals that have to be identified and have to be separated from the mall in some way, either formally or informally. And that's the tough part. You could simply ask people to leave, and most will. Some will give you a hard time. Some you have to almost ban from the mall, and that's something you have to work with at the local level with mall management and law enforcement. There is a formal process where you can give someone a trespass warning. Depending what state you live in, you can give a formal trespass warning essentially t- advising the person that their behavior is unsuitable or they breached some uh, code of conduct or they violated some law and they're no longer welcome 
at the mall or the parking lot and you ask them to leave now and don't return. And if you do return, you'll be subject to being contacted by the police and arrested for trespassing. Now, some agencies support that. Some agencies uh, will have, a, have you put a letter on file giving them the authority to give formal trespass warnings. Sometimes you actually have to call the police to have them approach these individuals and identify them. And then in the process of the police asking them, them to leave, they'll note in a report, they'll give a formal trespass warning. Again, advising the people of the same thing. If you come back again, you'll be arrested for trespassing. And if law enforcement has this on file, they'll actually be able to pull it up on their, their computer and determine if these people have been posted off the property before. Now that goes a long way. That could remove troublemakers very quickly and provides that formal process. Where that plan goes sideways is, is the, the malls that start doing it improperly without any particular form or legality behind them where they'll simply try to exclude whole groups of people, in some cases whole classes of people, and in the most extreme worst case scenarios, particular classes of people, they tend to ban from the store, and that's the, the, the wrong way of doing it, obviously. A couple malls, I think one of them, New York Galleria in New York, Pennsylvania, they require that uh, visitors under 18 be accompanied by a parent or guardian 21 years or older after, say, 6 o'clock on Friday, 6 o'clock on Saturday. Is that, uh, does that serve as any deterrent? Well, it, it does, but it sort of sets you up for problems. It does. It's better if you have a, because you're talking about a curfew. It's better if the curfew is line, in line with the city curfew. Many cities have uh, curfews for minors. Let's say 10 p.m. You can't be out after 10 p.m. without uh, an adult or a guardian. That way there it works perfectly for the mall to try to enforce that legal curfew. But if you establish a mall rule, you're not passing a law. All you're saying is we have a rule. After 6 p.m., no one over 18. Well, you can't be cited for that. It's not a violation of anything other than your rule. And the security guards oftentimes of the mall get caught sideways in these things where they're trying to enforce a rule. And if you start getting lip, you know, back or talking back to you, sometimes they try to get a little heavy hand in enforcing a rule. So it's kind of a slippery slope. And I would usually recommend another way of going about that. Besides, how do you determine who's 18? I mean, for me, I, God almighty, 14-year-olds look 18 almost these days. But you can't, you can't be stopping people to ask for ID. I mean, that becomes problematic. By setting a rule like that, a curfew, you're kind of setting yourself up for some confrontation. I can see how that would be challenges. Um, what about, you know, the safety issues for other shoppers? Or, um, you know, if there's a fracas like the size there was in Louisville with that many people involved, um, you know, that I could see that could be a safety issue for shoppers. And one of the problems I heard was that when retailers were trying to close their stores um, as ordered, you know, customers wouldn't leave. So, you know, that's, that's a different, uh, entirely different uh, scenario. What, what are some of your thoughts on that? Oh, it's, it's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And, and that's why you have to have a plan. Since I've been doing this for a living for so long, and I've seen all of these variables, I can anticipate all these things. And when people, when I advise my clients 
I go into that level of minutia that I never thought of before. It comes up in an active shooter scenario. Well, the stores want to kick everybody out and lock it up for their employees, right? But the customers don't want to go. They're safe. Leave me in here. You know, lock me in. But uh, So that creates a problem. The, the curfew thing, if you kick little Johnny out, I mean, let's say there was a 14-year-old in your mall getting in fights, and you want to grab this 14-year-old and toss him out, kick him out. Well, now you put a 14-year-old juvenile out on the street where mommy might have dropped him off to be, you know, let them all babysit him and intended to pick him up like at 10 o'clock at night. You've kicked him outside in the parking lot and something happened. So there's all these unintended or unexpected consequences. And you really have to, when you're putting together a plan, you have to think all of those things through. Now, it seems impossible, but it's not. Everything is knowable. Like I started out by saying, most of these things have happened in similar or, or very... Uh, identical circumstances. So it's a matter of uh, almost going through a checklist. And again, making your mall security plan uh, very comprehensive. It has to have um, multiple layers for the, the lowest, most common denominator up to the, to the most infrequent and maybe even improbable, but at least if you've thought about it sometime, somehow, and you have uh, some semblance of a plan in place, you're likely to, to respond in, in the appropriate manner. So then it comes to training. Well, how do you get this word out? I mean, even if uh, you have someone who is fully briefed and fully trained, how do you get the word to every officer, every mall manager, every office person, every tenant that are ever-changing number of employees? Uh, how, do, how do you get the word out? How do you get the plan out? How do you let them know how they're supposed to interface with the mall? And that's the challenge. And then Christmas time, when you have all the seasonal help that comes and goes for you know, a matter of a month. <laughs> how, how do you accomplish that? And, that, and that's the challenge. I would, yeah, I would, the challenges would, I could see would be even more daunting uh, around extremely crowded times because your, you know, your, your ability to execute some of this is obviously limited um, by crowds. So, um, yeah, the mall managers these days, they can't be just a merchant anymore, right? They have to be uh, not only uh, a merchant, they have to be someone trained in public relations and in, in crowd control and emergency management and in security management and and in child psychology. I mean, all these variables, human human resources, they have to have all of these skills. They have to anticipate all these things. I mean, you, you know very well, you write for Shopping Centers Today magazine. There is a world out there. There's a whole industry. There's uh, these trade associations that have all of these talented people there. And I would just encourage them at, the, uh, at that level to start getting the word out, to expand the knowledge base, to invite speakers to their conferences, make articles like this more common in Shopping Centers Today that uh, even a series that would address some of these things to get mall managers to, to start thinking about all of these different aspects of their job that they didn't deem heretofore to be their job, but it actually is. And yeah. Any other thoughts on this? I know we could go on for a long time. And well, it's absolutely doable. It's manageable. You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to anticipate every possible scenario. But if you have a reasonable plan in place, you're going to be able to address 
90% of the issues that are most, most likely, more probable, or that have happened before, and you're going to have a reasonably uh, safe mall. Uh, but it's, you have to have that plan. You have to discuss it from time to time. You need to dust off that emergency uh, action plan and, and review it and make sure that uh, people are, are rebriefed and, and up to date on situations. Much of it's seasonal, so you could take it out on the, the months that are relevant to a particular seasonal uh, aspect of it and, and, and refresh everyone's mind. So, I agree. We need to elevate this uh, in, you know, in, in importance at, at, our, at our sessions. We have a bunch of meetings around the country, small regional ones, a large national one in Las Vegas every year and in New York. And I've been to secure, you know, a post in terms of some of the terror issues, the security became a very strong, um, uh, you know, uh, priority. But then since then it hasn't been, but I think now they're looking at it again. So I think your, your comments and, and your, uh, uh you know, these sage wisdom again has helped quite a bit. Let me kind of give you a closing quote. Uh, you mentioned sure. something about like the active shooter thing. See, mm -hmm. the, the things that, that are the rarest, that happen the least often, or the likelihood of occurring is that out, out towards the remotest end of probability gets all this attention because it's new and it's, uh, it's high profile. But the stuff that's more likely to happen day to day, like fights in malls, hardly gets the time of day either in print or in conference time or seminars, uh, where mall managers would be probably better served by having training and resources for dealing with day-to-day -day misconduct and behavior issues. And I'm thinking of several instances of this, too. So it's, um, yeah, the ink, all the, you know, the shootings and occasional international terror incident. Uh, get plenty of ink, but the day-to-day yeah. -day challenges uh, such as you, the fights uh, don't. So, uh, If you take care of the fights and you have systems in place for that, it will take care of these more radical emergency issues. Steve, I enjoy talking with you once again. As always, any time I could help the shopping center industry, you're, feel free to call, and uh, I'll speak as often as you're willing to write. Good, terrific. Well, we should. Uh, I'm going to send a, just a note along to the uh, guy who organizes the speakers and and uh, advocate this issue is a very important one. Maybe we can uh, uh, schedule something on this at one of the bigger meetings because uh, you know I think it would help everybody in the industry. And I appreciate your time too very much, sir. And um, Enjoy talking with you, and, and let's, let's talk again about the, these subjects because they're extremely important to, to our industry. Thank you, Steve. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I try to present a variety of educational topics, but keeping with the theme of making places safe for people and property. The subject matter of Crime School is influenced by your feedback, so I encourage you to tell me about your ideas. For future discussion. I'm always looking for a guest. If you have a particular crime or loss prevention expertise, you have a special legal background about liability, you have an interesting crime prevention product to review, or if you're a crime victim with a motivating story and outcome to share, I want to talk to you. I invite you to join the Crime School community. We're all like-minded people. 
You could provide your email address on any web page, any opt-in form on the Crime School website. In this way, you'll receive immediate notification of any new audio or video episodes or any special events for that matter. Thank you for participating in Crime School and for doing your part in making places safe. This is the Crime School Radio Show with your host, Chris McGoey. We invite you to comment on today's topic and join the Crime School community. For more information and show notes from this episode, please visit crimeschool.com.